Broadcasting from the unknown regions in a galaxy far, far away, MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast. Episode 8, everyone, and welcome to The Last Podcast. My name is Sean, your host, and it is great to have you on board the ship as we're traveling through the unknown regions tonight. It is August 29th, 2019, and it is great to have you here, so strap in. If you want to become a fan of the show, you can head on over to mrctechllc.com backslash become a fan, follow the instructions, hit a tier, get a cool sticker, and support the show monetarily. We would really appreciate it. We have two reviews from Apple Podcasts that I'd like to read to you tonight. Both are five stars. Both are rated in August, one on August 12th and one on August 27th. And I couldn't be more grateful for this. My two buds who have been collaborating with me since virtually the beginning have left me a few good reviews. So M. Cassini leaves a five-star review. The title is That's No Moon, dot, dot, dot. Great Star Wars podcast. Nice to see content from the novels to the movies and everything in between. Thank you, kind sir. I appreciate that. Moving on to Lord Vader, a.k.a. Mike Mann of Monkey Basement Productions. Five stars on August 27th. Title, my go-to Star Wars podcast. This is my go-to Star Wars podcast. There are only a handful of Star Wars podcasts that I listen to, but this is the one I look forward to the most. Give it a shot. You won't be disappointed. Ah, that hits me in the feels, I tell you right now. That's awesome. I appreciate that, guys. It's pretty cool. So if you haven't rated the podcast yet, head on over to Apple Podcasts and Give it a quick second. And I think you can rate it on Google Podcasts as well. So that would be cool also. Let's go over what we're going to take care of in tonight's episode. Here is your rundown. We're going to start with our hyperspace spot. And it's going to be all about D23. We'll do the Net highlights, which will include Disney+, Plus, Galaxy's Edge, Attack of the Clones, and The Rise of Skywalker. Moving on, we'll do That's No Moon. It's a breakdown, and we're going to be breaking down screen capture one by one, the Mandalorian trailer and the D23 Rise of Skywalker footage. On our final approach, we'll cover some Ryan Johnson news. We'll take care of our comms chatter, and we'll come in for a sweet, sweet landing as we are traveling the galaxy. This is The Last Podcast, and welcome to Episode 8. Ready? Punch it! In today's hyperspace spot, we're going to primarily focus in on D23. The expo taking place Friday, August 23rd to Sunday, August 25th. Here are eight things we learned about Star Wars at the Disney Plus Showcase. StarWars.com reports, on Friday evening, 
the crowds erupted as Ewan McGregor took the stage and Kathleen Kennedy with a little tongue-in-cheek as she said we needed to fib for many weeks now. An Obi-Wan Kenobi series is in the works. According to StarWars.com, now there's a name we've not heard in a long time. After secrets and fibs and not being able to talk about it, I am thrilled to bring out a beloved member of the Star Wars fandom. Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy told the crowd to herald McGregor's arrival on stage. Can you please ask me, am I going to play Obi-Wan Kenobi again? McGregor pleaded. He'd been dodging questions about returning to the role for the last four years, but now I can say, yes, we're going to do it. Scripts for the as-yet-untitled Kenobi series, set eight years after the events of Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, have been written, and Kennedy said the crew is ready to start shooting next year. So why don't we go ahead and unpack this for a little bit. The timeline of Kenobi takes place during the Solo movie era. So we have some opportunity to have a little bit of a crossover between maybe Kira and Crimson Dawn and whatever. The Star Wars comics have these little journals every once in a while that has uh, Luke Skywalker going back to the homestead on Tatooine after he blows up the Death Star, and he finds the journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it basically is a chronological adventure story book of what Ben Kenobi was up to on Tatooine. So I imagine that they're going to maybe pull from this source material. So what are some things that they could actually do? I think we should get some appearances of young Luke. If it's set eight years after the events of Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, and that makes him eight years old, right? Eight years old. Uh, we should possibly see him at a distance. Maybe there will be some small interactions. Obviously, Luke Skywalker knows of old Ben, as he is a legend on Tatooine by the time Luke is 19 slash 20 years old. Uh, we should have him running into Mos Eisley or Anchorhead or some of the towns. Maybe he ignites his lightsaber every once in a while. Maybe he encounters some mystical beasts on Tatooine. All in all, how will the show be structured? Will it be structured episodically, meaning that it, like in a series as it runs series to series, episodes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, they all connect? Or will it be individual episodes uh, like a Black Mirror where it's like Adventures of Obi-Wan Kenobi and you know there's a beginning, middle, and end to each episode? I'm not sure where I lean on this either way, uh, but one thing I definitely want is I need this Obi-Wan Kenobi series to connect to the bigger picture. I mentioned this on the We Podcast and We Know Things show that it would be really cool to see some kind of force ghost shot of Obi-Wan Kenobi on the dunes of Jakku overlooking Ray's AT-AT in the desert. Just to kind of bring it all together, because we need to sort of make these connections. I, they don't have to do that, but I think the fans, well, me especially, I would appreciate that cross-connection from the, the TV world into the movie world. So Kenobi is a green light. I was Not that I was doubting it, but I, I don't take rumors 
until the official, official channels announce it. So I was happy to see Kenobi is back, baby. So that's awesome. And of course, Ewan McGregor is a home run. The Mandalorian debuted its first trailer. After an earlier announcement that Ming-Na Wen of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will join the cast of The Mandalorian, the show's executive producer, writer, and newly minted Disney legend Jon Favreau and his trusted collaborator Dave Filoni took the stage to share a first look at the action-packed world of the mysterious Blaster Slinger, which you can now watch for yourself on YouTube. It's a dangerous world, Favreau said, from the pounding rhythm of the soundtrack to the gorgeous special effects November 12th can't come soon enough. A little later on in the show, I'm going to do a full breakdown of this trailer, but just some initial thoughts. Uh, The Mandalorian takes place after Return of the Jedi. This is territory that hasn't really been touched uh, Chuck Wendig's aftermath filled in some gaps, but there is something to be said that you know the Empire has fallen. We might have some rogue Empire agents out there that may or may not know that the Emperor has fallen. We may have stormtroopers turning against each other. We may have uh, Imperial agents turning against we- each other. Is the Mandalorian a good character in this? Is he a bad character? Uh, Is he an ambiguously gray character uh, that's going to make us think about it? Uh, From what I glean off of this trailer, this uh, show is going to be gritty. It's going to be downright dirty. And uh, it's going to be a little bit heart-pounding. I'm hoping that this is a groundbreaking show for Star Wars. From what I understand, it is costing a ton of money. Game of Thrones level ton of money. And if that's the case, then this should be very good for Star Wars fans. And in fact, this is one of those shows that will define Star Wars for the rest of the years to come. Star Wars original defined its genre. They created the sequels. The original trilogy defined that genre. The prequels defined CGI in movies, sometimes good, sometimes bad. The sequel trilogy brought back nostalgia, brought back a subversion of expectations, uh, a division of fans. The Mandalorian could be that show that reunites the fan base back together. And it's going to open up avenues to other Star Wars stories. So November 12th, it's right around the corner and I can't wait. Speaking of Jon Favreau, Here is the concept for The Mandalorian. Favreau revealed his original pitch to Kennedy, a version of a show that took place after Return of the Jedi, after the Revolution, after everybody's done celebrating because the Empire is gone. And then chaos reigns because there's no central government in the galaxy, and so it degrades into a world where, like the old samurai movies and the old westerns, where the gunfighters are roaming and people are fighting for their own safety. The beauty of creating the first live-action Star Wars series in this uncharted era with all new characters is that it's accessible to new fans as it is recognized to existing ones. Favreau said, if you're new to Star Wars, it's a whole new storyline starting in a whole new time frame that hasn't been covered yet, he added. But if you are a Star Wars fan, we got you. So he gives us a little bit of information about how it's going to feel. 
Uh, again, the trailer shows us Imperial Stormtroopers. So just because the revolution is over doesn't mean that every aspect of the Empire is gone. Uh, so we're going to see how that all works out. Number four, the cast is genuinely thrilled to be part of the family. The creators of The Mandalorian were also joined by five cast members. Pedro Pascal, the titular warrior, Gina Carano, Carl Weathers, Juan Carlo Esposito of Breaking Bad, and Taika Watiti, who will voice the droid IG-11. See, some people think this is IG-88, and it's not. They all joined Filoni and Favreau to talk about becoming a part of the Star Wars. It's a dream come true, Pascal said simply, a sentiment shared by many of his colleagues. Once a part of the Star Wars family, always a part of the Star Wars family, Weathers added. Uh, excellent cast uh, with Carl Weathers, with Pedro Pascal, who was in Game of Thrones, who was Oberyn, who got his eyes blinded by the mountain. Uh, looking forward to seeing how he portrays the Mandalorian. Number five, the actors behind Cassian Andor and K2SO were also reunited. Ever since we learned that Alan Tudyk was joining the series that will bring Diego Luna back to the role of Cassian Andor, from Rogue One, we've been waiting to see the two friends together again. On Friday, fans got a glimpse at the camaraderie between the two actors behind the scenes of the prequel. It's been a hard three years, Luna said, since his character met his end in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. My kids won't look me in the eye. Number six, but there's no name for the series, at least not just yet. Luna and Tudyk weren't able to reveal the name of their project, but Tudyk, uh, but Tudyk helpfully suggested his own title for the series set to start shooting in London next year. K2 Fast, K2 Furious, a Cassian Andor story, he quipped delightedly. Now again, there's not a lot of information on the Cassian Andor series, but I can say that I was, you know, I, I do like Rogue One. It is one of my uh, favorite anthology movies out of the two <laughs> that there is. But I gotta say that Cassian Andor went through such a wild arc from, you know, ruthless spy that would do anything to complete the mission to a compassionate character that understood where our main character's issues were coming from. But did he was he always that ruthless? Are we going to see him prior to the Rebel Alliance? Are we going to see him get recruited and then a major life event happens? You know, he gives a little backstory in Rogue One. Are we going to see him as a kid? I don't know. There's a lot of uh, opportunities for this show. And, of course, it takes place prior to Rogue One because he does have to be alive. Number seven, Star Wars The Clone Wars has been saved and it's heading to Disney Plus early next year. Fans of the beloved animated series following the adventures of Anakin Skywalker and his Padawan Ahsoka Tano got a glimpse at an all-new image of the fierce Tegruta taking a fighting stance against a familiar-looking Dathromirian. Kennedy also announced that new episodes will debut on the streaming service in February 2020. So we have a little bit of wait between November 12th and February 2020. I caught the Clone Wars post-Clone Wars, which means I watched it on Netflix and I breezed through it. And one negative to the Clone Wars was that the episodes weren't in order. Like, they would follow the story arcs, and then it would refer back to an earlier story arc, and it was very comic booky where it would jump back and forth. 
But there's cool guides out there that tell you what order to watch it if you did want to watch it in chronological order. So I'm going to have to watch some sort of recap video to get me caught back up on the Clone Wars. So I'm looking forward to that in February of 2020. And number eight, within the first year, Kennedy promised that Disney Plus would also be the hub for the entire Star Wars galaxy, including the forthcoming Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. This service will be home to the entire Star Wars collection, she said. Over 40 years of Star Wars storytelling in one place, I would say that's pretty fantastic. And Kathleen, I would 100% agree with you. Looking forward to the Disney Plus service for sure. That is a short wrap-up of D23. If you want a more in-depth, wild wrap-up of D23, head on over to We Podcast and We Know Things and listen to the mega episode that myself and Ian Ryan put together over on the We Podcast and We Know Things network. And that has been your Hyperspace Spot. As always, this podcast does not exist without the tremendous support of the We Pod Squad. Greg and Sam of We Podcast and We Know Things, the forefathers of the We Pod Squad, and Ryan of the Ion Ryan Show, splitting the Tuesday schedule with me every other week. Super important announcement. By the time this episode drops, a mega super crossover episode on We Podcast and We Know Things is live and it is a massive three hour show Ion ryan and myself cover d23 even more in depth than what this podcast would cover and i gotta say it was a tremendous effort we worked on wednesday august 28th to thursday august 29th from 8 30 p.m to 1.30 a.m. in the morning, and it was a wonderful time. I was able to meet Ion Ryan for the first time in person, and we chatted for an hour before we even started, and we really hit it off. So if you want a super-duper in-depth look of D23, head on over to We Podcast and We Know Things, subscribe to their feed, and listen to the three-hour show. Episode 150 of We Podcast and We Know Things, brought to you by the original host, Greg and Sam, will be available this coming Friday, so definitely give them a listen. So thanks for listening to the We Pod Squad, the Iron Ryan Show, the last podcast, and We Podcast and We Know Things. Moving right along, welcome to the Holonet Highlights, a short and quick look at all the news in the galaxy. Leading off, we're going to start with Disney Plus since that sort of connects and segues from D23. Right now, if you go to D23.com and you sign up for a D23 general membership, this is the free membership. In a few days, they will send you an email for an exclusive offer. If you buy two years of the Disney Plus streaming service for $149, you will get the third year for free. That comes down to $4 a month. This is an instantaneous buy for me. As we said on the WePod Mega crossover episode, 
the night that this went live, the D23 site crashed. So I'm sure they're going to fix that, but that's just how many people were accessing that deal at one time. So head on over to D23.com, sign up as a member. Uh, you need a Disney account, so you may need to register if you don't have one. And then in a few days, I just got mine today, and I signed up on Monday. So it did take a few days for it to come through. So I'm looking forward to the Disney Plus uh, network. And here's every device you can use to stream Disney Plus as courtesy Lifehacker. So when Disney Plus goes live, here is where it will be available. Apple TV, Android devices, including Android TV, Chromecast, iOS and iPadOS, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 4 Pro, Roku devices, including smart TVs with the Roku TV OS, web browsers via DisneyPlus.com, and Xbox One consoles, including the Xbox One S and One X. And if you didn't notice what was missing, it's all Amazon products and the Nintendo Switch, but that's okay because they don't really have much to begin with. But Amazon products, the Fire TV Stick, the Fire Cube, uh, Kindle Fire tablets, Disney Plus is not available. Why? I don't know. Uh, are they hedging their bets? Are they trying to maybe go against Amazon Prime? Are they trying to pull subscribers? Who knows? But all I know is that that stinks because my daughter has a Kindle Fire tablet for the kids. And what's the point now if she can't watch that streaming service? But we do have Chromecast in the house. We may have to go a different route, but I hope, hope, hope that Disney Plus comes to Fire TV Sticks in the near future. Speaking of Disney Plus and the rules for streaming, Disney Plus will give you four simultaneous streams, 4K and HDR for no extra cost, according to CNET. Now, again... You have to have a 4K TV to experience the 4K, but there are services out there that charge more for 4K. Now, I know that's probably nonsense to some of you, but hey, Disney Plus is putting this at a $7 a month service to rope you in. So you get all this amazing content. And again, I am going to sign up for the three-year plan, which means that I will have it 2019 to 2020. 2020 to 2021 and 2021 to 2022 by the time 2022 comes around i know for a fact that these prices will go up and by fact i mean i'm assuming that the prices will go up based on how netflix has handled their prices as you know netflix started out as a disc company right sending discs back and forth uh, a la blockbuster a la redbox uh and, uh, you know, they had to increase their pricing, you know, licensing fees and et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually, you know, maybe Netflix lowers the price and Disney hires the price. But I imagine that at some point, as we discussed on uh, the WePod episode, a good price point for this service will probably be between 15 and $20 for the amount of content that we're getting, especially if they announce Mandalorian Season 2, especially if they announce Kenobi Season 2. And all the other good stuff that is happening in Disney Plus for Star Wars Land. And there's a slew of other things that's coming out for Disney Plus that's outside of Star Wars. But you'll have to check that out on the other podcast. So we're looking forward to the Disney Plus service. I know I am, and I hope you are too. 
Moving right along, we are going to slide on over to Galaxy's Edge as we have a few news stories. First and foremost, Galaxy's Edge in Florida is now open. Check out Episode 9 for some recap of how that went. But on D23, Star Wars named its hotel called the Galactic Star Cruiser. So more or less, it is a very, very large ship. They put it next to the Millennium Falcon. If I had to kind of line them up, the Millennium Falcon is a quarter on a table compared to the ship, if that makes any sense. And from what I understand and from what I'm reading, it is a fully immersive experience, and there are some rules to it, such as you have to stay for more than one night. Uh, I think there's costuming. I think there's interactive stuff that you can do. And I hear it is super, super pricey, but that's Disney and that's what it is. Some people were complaining about that, but Disney has always been expensive and this is an experience. This is not something that you take little kids to. And by little, little kids, I mean like one, two, three, four-year-olds. This is something you take your 9, 10, 11, 12, even 13-year-old or 35-year-old, because that's what I will be when I go, uh, to the... Uh, galactic star cruiser it's a new first of its kind vacation experience where guests will check in for a two-night adventure aboard a glamorous starship so that's pretty rad for all those haters of galaxy's edge and it's not making any money and there's nobody there time.com has listed galaxy's edge at disneyland one of the greatest places in 2019. Nearly seven years after the Walt Disney Company's acquisition of Lucasfilm comes Disneyland's largest ever single land expansion and a shift of the California theme park's nostalgic identity toward more futuristic experiences. At Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, guests don't simply mingle with their favorite characters, they live among them while customizing their own droids at the depot and visiting Oga's Cantina, Disneyland's first public watering hall serving alcohol, space brews, and blue milk. The 14-acre land brings Planet Batuu and its trading post to life, along with two groundbreaking attractions, a Millennium Falcon-themed flight simulator, open now, and a multifaceted cinematic journey of Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, opening in early 2020. That is a wonderful, wonderful article about Galaxy's Edge, and I'm very excited that they are being recognized. And speaking of Rise of Resistance... We have a little preview according to DisneyParks.Disney.Go.com. As we've previously shared, the highly anticipated attraction, Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, at Galaxy's Edge will open on December 5th, 2019 at Disney's Hollywood Studios in Florida and January 17th, 2020 at Disneyland Park in California. When it opens, this harrowing adventure will blur the lines between fantasy and reality and will put you in the middle of a climatic battle between the First Order and the Resistance. You will join the Resistance and depart from Batuu in a transport ship to meet General Leia at a secret rendezvous point. Along the way, however, you will be captured by a First Order Star Destroyer. The action then ramps up as you seek to escape the clutches of Kylo Ren in the First Order. With the help of some heroes of the Resistance, today we're excited to share this first look inside the attraction. Star Wars Rise of the Resistance will be one of the most ambitious, advanced, and immersive experiences ever undertaken by Walt Disney Imagineering. 
The attraction is also one of the largest Disney has ever created. Its massive show building is a world unto itself, housing two full housing two full-size AT-AT walkers and a Star Destroyer hangar bay complete with a TIE fighter and a garrison of stormtroopers plus more thrills and surprises. Stay tuned for the blog for more information and updates on Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. If you rode the new Pandora ride in Disney in Animal Kingdom, in which I did not because the last time I was there, it was a 90-minute wait. It is more immersive than that. So that should tell you a little bit of something about how uh, uh, Rise of Resistance will be super, super immersive and cool. So unfortunately, I'm missing it when I head out to Anaheim in December, but I will definitely have to catch it in Florida one of these days in the future. Let's take a short hyperspace lane to Attack of the Clones. And I only clicked on this article because it states that Attack of the Clones is the best Star Wars prequel. So let's check out what this is all about. Matt Ryan of Uproxx wrote a very personal article about Attack of the Clones, and he is basically defending that it is a better movie than it has been credited for. And I'm on board with what he's saying. It's got very good action scenes. Uh, For me, the scenes between Padme and Anakin at that age when I saw the movie was sort of nice. You know, it was, you know, it hit me in a way that you know, relationships were new, and this was a thing, and I was, I bought into this. I imagine as an adult, it was a little cringy, and I imagine as a nine-year-old, it was a little awkward, I guess. But for me, that didn't kill the movie at all. Uh, he states that in the amount of prequel of scenes we got between all three movies, Revenge of the Sith is the one that fails the most because it had the, it had the easiest plot to sort of figure out, to connect everything together, and it turns out that Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones were just filler. But they, he, he justifies that Attack of the Clones has very good action scenes and all that jazz. So give Attack of the Clones a chance, will ya? We'll be eventually breaking that down uh, live on the last podcast. So when we get to that, maybe my feelings for Attack of the Clones rises up a little bit, thinking about... Uh, this article down the line. So, Attack of the Clones, not the worst Star Wars movie out there. And in our final article in the Hollow Net highlights, we have a little tidbit on the rise of Skywalker. Richard E. Grant, a newcomer to the Star Wars galaxy, shares his excitement for Star Wars Episode Nine. Now, this was actually posted January 20th, 2019, but it was updated recently. And here is what it says. You can find this on StarWarsNewsNet.com, a very, very good source for all your Star Wars news needs. According to Richard Grant, I got 10 pages of script from a 40s British war film, three scenes in total, and had to video myself doing them on an iPad. Then you send it off and feel like you're never going to hear anything about it ever again. I got a call two months later to say a car was going to pick me up and take me to Pinewood Studios to meet director J.J. Abrams. 
which was odd because I still had no idea what he was going to direct me as. When Grant arrived, he was ushered into a room with Abrams and the new trilogy's heroine, Daisy Ridley. Surrounded by all this Star Wars memorabilia going back to 1977, and within about two seconds he said, Are you going to do it or not? And I said, Do what? Then he described the part, and I think he told me what my name was, at which point the room went upside down. In what appears to be a degree of physical discomfort, Grant stops himself from saying anything more. In the grand old Star Wars tradition, the entire cast has been sworn to secrecy, at least until the trailer and title of the forthcoming Episode 9 are revealed in April. Now, it's very interesting. Uh, he appears to maybe be interrogating Ray in some case, or maybe that was just a tactic to see how they would gel together, or maybe he is a red herring. We don't know. But it's nice to see that, I know they get paid, but it's nice to see these actors so excited and passionate for this movie, this upcoming finale of the Skywalker saga. And that, my friends, wraps up the Holonet highlights, and I hope you enjoyed that little journey around the galaxy in the news space. Look at him, he's heading for that small moon. That's no moon. It's a breakdown. In this very special edition of That's No Moon, It's a Breakdown, we are going to take an exclusive look at the Mandalorian trailer and the D23 footage breakdown of the rise of Skywalker. First up, we're going to hit on the Mandalorian trailer, and we are going to start off by just simply listening to the trailer because the audio in it is outstanding. So let's give it a go. Goodness, let's see if we can break this down right now. So our opening shot is of a stormtrooper bucket helmets just strewn 
about. The Mandalorian walks through the scene and we see the Stormtrooper bucket heads on pikes. We have a beautiful shot of the top of the ship, which is a unique design to the Star Wars ship. One of the complaints that people have is that the sequel trilogy is just reusing old ship designs. And that's fine. It doesn't matter. But this Mandalorian ship is very unique. It can, it looks like it can definitely, definitely carry some good cargo, a.k.a. bounties, maybe? Smuggling people? Looking as the ship sort of crosses over the landscape, it is a beautiful shot. Little lakes, a river, lots of trees, lots of green. I never knew there was so much green in the galaxy. In this shot, the Mandalorian is uh, very far away from the camera, all very tiny, crossing under a, a very large arch. But the prominent uh, items in this cap is the Mandalorian ship. I don't know if it has a name just yet. But it, we, there's also another ship to the right of it, which it looks very similar to a U-Wing. Uh, but if I'm making comparisons to the U-Wing I have on display with the Lego, I don't think the front prongs are long enough. But it could be very close to a U-Wing, or it could be a modified U-Wing, as the U-Wing I have is from Rogue One, which would be many, many years before the Mandalorian actually takes place. Uh, he seems to be walking into a town on a mountainside. Meanwhile, the these scenes are fading in and out, and it's just awesome. Are you kidding me? Looks like the Mandalorian uh, hands this gentleman on a table some circular, clear sort of things. Maybe they, maybe that's the bounties. Maybe that's items from his collection. And then he takes something. Uh, we have a nice shot of Carl. I'm not sure his name, uh, but he is either collecting bounties or giving out bounties, or maybe he's going to be the Mandalorian's moral compass. Who knows? The following shot is of the ship very, very far away, so the ship is very tiny, but it's of this very cracked landscape, as if it was like a super close-up shot in like A Bug's Life, where the regular ground has like, cav like caverns and valleys in it. So this is a very interesting landscape. It's I can't really place it. I wouldn't know where that is or where that shot. So it could be CGI, but who knows? We have the Mandalorian sort of loading up a holster, holstering a weapon into his boot or his uh, tactical armor, uh, putting something into his wrist gauntlets. The door of his ship is slowly collapsing down uh, using hydraulics, I imagine. We see a nice shot of the back of him. Uh, but the the background is of a treed area, so that probably is connecting back to the first shot. We have our first look at a female. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know her name. I don't know the actor's name. And I don't know who she's playing in there. So not a great breakdown so far. Uh, quick moving shot. The Mandalorian is blurred out on the bottom left of the screen. We have a dead do-back, and then a unknown character, not sure the species, with a weapon in its hand riding another do-back. And uh, I've, I don't know if we've ever seen a do-back straight on, so this is a very... It looks very practical. It doesn't look CGI to me. 
another quick cut to a Twi'lek. And uh, she's winking, so maybe she knows the Mandalorian, or she hired her. She seems to have something in her hand. Maybe she's about to kill. Maybe she's about to swindle. But it's, uh, she is purple in nature, so it's nice to see that head, the, the head dress and the, the lacou, I think it's called, um, back in Star Wars. Because I think it's been a while since we may have seen one on screen. It's Hera, but animated. A beautiful shot of the Mandalorian with a sunset in the background. Cuts immediately to like a mother and daughter uh, in a in a I guess a creek or some sort of river, and they seem very distressed, as if the Mandalorian is collecting a bounty on them or either protecting them or they're scared or something like that. Is the Mandalorian going to be like a Robin Hood character? Awesome shot of going down the lines of Death Troopers. So we we haven't seen Death Troopers since Rogue One. So Death Troopers, if we're making connections, have existed since A New Hope all the way to after Return of the Jedi. Yet we didn't see them, of course, in the original trilogies at all because they're supposed to protect high-ranking officials outside of uh, like the Death Star in the galaxy. So that would make sense being as there's really never a time we're on a on a, a planet-based imperial facility uh, outside of like Endor, you know, but that was more of like a like a base than like a facility where the imperials do like their paperwork. Um, the next scene is of the Mandalorian about to unholster his weapon. He uh, sort of like in a western draw. There appears to be somebody in the background. Very, very, very blurred out. I'm going to take a guess and say it's Bosk, if he's still alive. Uh, Juan Carlo makes an appearance. He is a moth, but my question... Oh, so we see a lot of cool things in this scene. He's very intense looking, as normal. Death troopers to his right. Stormtroopers to his left. Buildings in the background blurred out. This is eight years after the Empire falls, so why are they still fighting for the Empire? Or are they fighting for him now? Is he the Empire in their eyes? The Mandalorian comes into view in this shot. We see his rifle stock, which is, again, reminiscent of the holiday special that I never saw. November 12th, it comes out. We have, uh, I guess, a flare gun going off, and they cut it along with a sort of like a biker speeder sort of uh, raider thing. It kind of reminds me of Mad Max. Uh, looks like a chicken walker ATST and the Mandalorian or Stormtrooper sort of leading it somewhere. It's kind of hard to place. Uh, in the middle of a town that's getting lit up by something, people hugging children, getting them away, sort of building a environment of chaos and disorder. IG-11 and the Mandalorian coming in a doorway in which they had to laser cut through, it looks like. And as I'm looking at it, it looks like a, a Strowman's piece of toast. Space battles are in this show, which is awesome. So we have the Mandalorian attempting to get away from some sort of X-Wing-looking ship. Uh, it's got four engines. 
but more of a rounded nose. And he gets hit. We have the Mandalorian looking like he is handling a 50 caliber type weapon. Lighting up mercenaries on buildings. We have IG-11 sort of crushing people left and right, hitting people. Stormtroopers uh, surrounding the Mandalorian. He has his weapons out. He has his rifle out. There's like a little bit of a standoff. We have a little bit of vocal that says bounty hunting is a complicated uh, job or something like that. And then the Mandalorian cuts to a completely different scene and where he's taking out, I guess, his bounties or his mercenaries or something like that in very quick fashion. Boom, table. Give me that. He pulls him back, hits the door, and the classic Star Wars door of like a, it looks like a, a photo lens shutter is slowly going to cut this guy in half. And does he cut it in half? We don't know because it cuts to the next scene before that. And it's the Mandalorian walking away from four people, alien species, frozen in carbonite. So carbonite still exists. And I think that's going to pack his cargo ship uh, as, uh, you know, as we've seen, you know, his ship can handle that. The Mandalorian slowly turns. He hasn't spoken in this trailer at all. We have the title and when it's supposed to air on Disney+. Plus. So that is the Mandalorian trailer breakdown. And, it's, you know, there's, like I said earlier, I think this is going to be pretty revolutionary in, uh, in terms of breaking through the stalemate that is Star Wars right now stuck in the Skywalker saga. So... Kudos to John Favreau for putting together a great trailer, at least uh, helping put that together. And kudos to the composer for putting the music together. It is very, very nice. All right, moving on. We are now going to look at the D23. You're not going to look at anything. You're going to listen to the D23 footage on the trailer. And I just want you, again, we don't have to see in order to feel. So I want you to listen to the audio of the trailer so you can get a good idea of uh, the feels and the, the nostalgia that we're going to get. So here we go.
Wow. As you can tell, there that gets really, 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 really intense towards the end. And, you know, it's not picking up on all the tones, but if you watch this and listen to it uh, with a little bit of a cleaner audio, you get a little bit more flavor here. Uh, it's just so outstanding uh, how this this special look uh, delves into the entire Star Wars universe. So uh, as we uh, sort of watch this trailer from start to finish, we get scenes of uh, the original trilogies and prequels, but in the production order. So we have the twin sons of Tatooine, followed by Luke, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Old Ben, the Falcon going to Yavin, uh, Leia Han Solo, the droids going away from the Death Star, celebrating from the Death Star, the medal ceremony, onto uh, the ATSTs uh, on the, the Battle of Hoth, to Vader on his ship, and then we get cut to Boba Fett and Return of the Jedi, which is super strange to have that in there because it doesn't it's not exactly in order. It then goes back to Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Han and Leia are kissing before he gets thrown into Carbonite. Uh, Chewie growling. Luke being defeated by Vader. Him revealing Yoda on Dagobah. Moving the ship, which again is sort of out of order because, you know, Luke was already gone. Uh, Vader and Luke battling in Return of the Jedi. Lando after making the big shot. Uh, and uh, Luke, we've passed on all we know. Again, kind of boring using the same uh, sounders, but it's also only special footage. He is turning in the Death Star 2 uh, towards Palpatine, I'm sure. Then it cuts to Darth Maul, double-bladed lightsaber, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, to young Anakin Skywalker and his mother Shmi, to... 20-year-old Anakin Skywalker and Padme during their wedding to the beginning of the uh, the Galactic Republic Army Star Destroyers going out into the atmosphere for the first time to Mace Windu, uh, facing off against good old Sheev, uh, to Darth Vader being created by the droids. It cuts to Palpatine in front of the Galactic Senate. You are now part of the Galactic Empire. And the very next scene after the Emperor scene in front of the Senate is Kylo Ren. Is that a, a connection? Can we make that jump? Because Kylo Ren is not the first thing we see in Force Awakens. So that's very interesting. Well, you know, we have Lorsan Tekka and Poe, but it's very interesting that we get jumped right to Kylo Ren. We skip Ray, we skip Poe, we skip Finn. It goes right to Kylo Ren. It's got to mean something. It then, right to Vader's helmet. So now it's getting juicy here. We have Leia and Han, the hug before he perishes. We have Rey crying over Finn, getting rescued. Then it jumps to the hand-to-hand -hand touch in The Last Jedi. What could that mean? It then uh, immediately jumps from the Kylo Ren Rey hand touch to the Leia and Rey hand touch. Very interesting how they did that. They mirrored that together. That then jumps to Han Solo putting his hand on Kylo Ren's face to Rey holding out her hand to Finn's hand. It's like they put this all together and it all makes sense. BB-8 rolling in the classic uh, quad jumper scene. Kylo Ren pointing his 
lightsaber to his enemy, Luke kissing Leia on the head. The X-Wings going to Maz Kanata's castle with Poe, right to the skiffs of Crate, to the final battle of The Force Awakens, with every generation has a legend, uh, and uh, they stay on Rey for a little bit. This Christmas, now we get the Rise of Skywalker footage we've been waiting for. The gang's all here. Poe, Finn, Rey, Chewie, C-3PO. I don't see any droids. And they are in front. Well, C-3PO is a droid, but I mean R2-D2 and, and BB-8. Uh, they're sort of in, fr in front of a giant festival-looking Aladdin-like town with, like, fireworks and kites in the air. Uh, very um, third-world-ish country, but not really. It looks very cultural, looks very colorful, despite the desert landscape. I believe that's Pasana. We have a beautiful shot of Leia being inserted into this foresty, tropical environment. That's what it looks like. The story of a generation. This is a beautiful scene of all the ships with the sun in the background. We have newer X-Wings. We have a blockade runner. A-Wings, B-Wings, Y-Wings. We have a unidentified ship, uh, something that I can't place. It is similarly shaped to the Millennium Falcon, so it's definitely a Corellian ship is my guess, uh, but we do not know what this ship is just yet. It then immediately goes from all the Rebel ships to a fleet, a fleet killer, a complete carbon copy clone ray in the mirror this is probably a vision of imperial star destroyers in a line in a blue sky uh the blue and black kind of reminds me of the world between worlds so i bet you this is some sort of vision that the characters have uh it then flips to finn and and janna uh, inside one of those ships, maybe the blockade runner, maybe the new ship, don't know. Uh, but they look like, oh boy, we're getting into it now. Uh, you know, it comes to an end. C-3PO in a chair with red eyes, meaning he's probably reprogrammed. Is C-3PO the villain of this movie? Of this movie? Has he been the mole this whole time? Anakin Skywalker created him. Emperor Palpatine created Anakin Skywalker. I'm just saying we can make these connections here. We'll see. Uh, a wonderful shot of not sure the landscape, very mountainous, maybe snowy. Uh, two large red laser bolts cutting through the mantle. We then go back to the far scene, which is looks very similar to where Leia was. And Rey seems to be training, uh, because there's a training droid. And she's throwing her lightsaber and using the Force, finally, like where we see it in games and all that jazz. Cutting through trees, catching it. She has a red ribbon in her left hand, which I'm sure is symbolic of something. Maybe uh, the finality, like the finale of a journey or something like that. Uh, it then cuts to a lightning-ridden world with Kylo Ren approaching. He looks pissed off, ignites his lightsaber, ready for battle. It then fades to a world that Kylo Ren was not on, 
and it is this what's probably going to be the most epic scene of Star Wars that will ever be produced on the big screen. It appears that Rey and Kylo Ren are battling on top of the Death Star 2, which is semi-submerged on X planet. We don't know. There are turbo laser turrets in the background. The sea is crashing over them. Kylo Ren is in his ray. Uh, and uh, Kylo Ren is in his black cow traditional, no mask. Ray is in her new white cow uh, hooded uh, outfit with the blue saber and the red saber. And they are just going at it. Uh, we have some voice over by the uh, emperor where he just says, your journey is, is near its end. It then slides on over to a Ray-looking character. And I say Ray-looking because it looks very fake to me. And she's holding a double-bladed lightsaber parallel to each other, looking like an equal sign, if that's what I mean. And she flicks her wrist and it becomes a double-bladed lightsaber, and the screen goes dark. We have the title, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and something that I want to tell you about is the end sounder of this special D23 footage. Is Ray's theme in, like, a minor scale? Like, it's not played at full? And in the actual trailer of The Rise of Skywalker, the end of the trailer is actually Kylo Ren's theme played in like a major. So it's played a little bit, you know, kind of more intensely. So I don't know if there's connections there. There's always connections to music. We talked about it. That is why in the We Pod Squad takeover, I was really big on movie soundtracks and I'm equally big on trailer soundtracks as well. I often put them as ring tones. So I'm pretty excited for The Mandalorian. I am more excited now for The Rise of Skywalker. Um, not again, uh, it's very hard to top the hype that was the force awakens because we haven't had it in so long, but this movie is slowly creating the hype. And with only 113 days left until the film comes out, will this be the end of me looking up the rise of Skywalker stuff? I think not yet. We, I usually like watching trailers, so we will do one more trailer. Well, yeah, we'll do one more trailer for sure. But I, you know, I'm definitely not going to be able to avoid, you know, TV spots and stuff like that. But hopefully, they keep it under wraps as long as possible. Hopefully, nothing leaks, nothing spoils. If not, we're gonna, we're going to have to go radio silence if that, you know, if I start to catch wind of that sort of stuff. So, uh, this has been your breakdown. Of both trailers. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope you picked up on something. And if you picked up on something that I didn't mention, please let me know. I'd be more than happy to uh, co collaborate with you. I, I really like seeing uh, other people's perspectives. And if you think I'm completely wrong about a theory, please let me know too and give me some reasons. Just don't say that I'm wrong. Got to give me reasons. That's what I teach the kids at school. So this has been your breakdown of the D23 trailer of The Mandalorian. And Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker D23 special footage. As always, we have to shout out the Wee Pod Squad, as it is the reason why the last podcast exists. 
Uh, if you don't know the origin story of the last podcast, Greg of We Podcast and We Know Things started a network and he said, hey, I would like you to fill in one of our days. We release on Fridays. Could you do Tuesdays? And I said, absolutely. Uh, let me just figure out some of the minor details. And then I told him I could do, uh, you know, I'm going to do a show every other Tuesday, I said, because it's a lot of time. And he said, yeah, no problem. I'm actually bringing on another guy. called uh, His name's Ryan, and he's going to do his show on the opposite Tuesday. And that's where the Iron Ryan show was born. So we share Tuesdays in the month. We only do two shows per month. And that's fine for me for right now. But if you do listen to We Podcast and We Know Things over on their feed, you will catch a brand new episode titled The We Pod Squad Takeover, hosted by the Iron Ryan Show's Ryan and the last podcast show host, Sean. That's me. And it is a marathon episode, so definitely take a look. We tackle D23. And make sure you subscribe so you can catch Greg and Sam's 150th episode of We Podcast and We Know Things core series. They've done more than uh, 150 episodes, uh, including bonus episodes, but this is the official 150th episode of the podcast in the new studio. Congrats, Greg, on the move. Way to go, big guy. And uh, make sure you like and comment and share and interact and subscribe. And if you feel so inclined, support WePod on Patreon and support the last podcast through PayPal. And we would really appreciate that. It's been a pleasure being a part of this uh, podcast squad, so let's keep it going. And if you didn't know... Uh, uh, Reading the Stars is a new segment I will be releasing uh, in the week that I don't release a major episode. And it is just a short snack on something that I've read in the Star Wars universe. Uh, I've read a lot of content, so there is plenty of Reading the Star episodes to come out in the future. So make sure you check that out. The We Pod Squad is strong, and we are here to entertain you for life. As we make our final approach on our journey in space, I'd like to cover an article that explains the current status of the Ryan Johnson Star Wars trilogy. If you follow him on Twitter or if you sort of key in on the negativity he has faced since The Last Jedi, he has sort of just taken it in stride. You know, uh, he's got a movie coming out called Knives Out, a whodunit with pretty good actors in it. I'll probably go see it. Uh, again, I don't fall on either side of the fence in terms of like falling on the sword for a movie, uh, but I don't give people passes to movies either. I, again, I think The Last Jedi is a fine movie, and I do not blame Ryan Johnson or any of the actors or any of the story writing or any of any part of the storyline of making Star Wars fall apart. But I wanted to sort of read a little bit about... Ryan Johnson and his uh, direction he is taking his Star Wars movie. So I found this on Dork Side of the Force, which is part of Fan Sided, written by Susan. Uh, I'm sorry, Susan, I can't pronounce your last name, but you can follow her on Twitter at y a n x c h i c k. Ryan Johnson will be back to helm another Star Wars trilogy. This time, he's moving away from the characters we know and love. Ryan Johnson is still making his Star Wars trilogy. It feels that ne- it's 
it feels that needs to be said. It feels that needs to be said. Hmm. That's a strange sentence. With the backlash The Last Jedi received, there are many who wished he would go away and not touch the franchise again. But that's not the case at all. Johnson is still working on one and also talking about some of his plans for the Star Wars trilogy he envisions. Johnson recently spoke about what he sees for the future of Star Wars without going into details, but it does give us an idea of what's to come. The answer? Nothing that we have seen before. So this is a, a quote from Johnson himself. I think that the fun and challenging part of it is to dive in, figure out what's exciting, and then figure out what it's going to be. We're doing something that steps be we're doing something that steps beyond the legacy characters. What does that look like? To me, the blue sky element of it is what the what was most striking about it. I know the way that I'm coming at it, and what's fun about it for everyone in Lucasfilm is figuring out what's the next step. It really makes you think and figure out what the essence of Star Wars is for me and what that will look like moving forward. So he's going to move beyond the legacy characters. So let's let's think about it for a second. Legacy means Skywalkers, meaning that this will have no direct connection to the Skywalker saga. So will these movies that he has to have, he has to create the planets, create the characters, create the storyline, will these movies be a coherent Star Wars movie or will they always 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 be compared to the to the original episodic saga can Star Wars movies stand on their own without being an episodic uh, movie Rogue One did Solo didn't flop it made 500 million you know it just didn't make what Disney wanted it to make but that was also a timing snafu uh, will these movies garner the same excitement as regular episodics how does one go about naming these movies? You, you, you got to stay away from numbers. Uh, part one, part two, part three, you know, uh, part A, part B. We, I don't know. Uh, but I, I, I've seen enough Ryan Johnson movies. He's, a, he's, you know, he sometimes gets in his own way with writing. Like uh, you didn't need that twist there and all that jazz. But we don't know any details right now. We just know that it has nothing to do with what we know which means that this goes along the lines of my attitude with the Mandalorian. If we're moving beyond the Star Wars we know, then that is a good thing. It's a good thing right now. Doesn't mean that's going to be executed great. It just means that with where we're at in the Star Wars universe and how some authors and comic writers and illustrators try to shoehorn details into an already tight can, it's nice. It's a breath of fresh air to see other people breaking the mold that is the magic of the last jedi the last jedi broke the mold it broke the traditional star wars movie and it allowed the rise of skywalker to breathe and it allows the star wars galaxy to step beyond the expectations of a traditional star wars movie that has been your final approach so we're coming in for a landing, but oh, what's that? Transmissions coming in. Let me just adjust the dial here. I'm getting a little bit of static. Uh, yep, here, yep, yep, yep. And yes, here it is. Okay, so we got it. Uh, Com's chatter for episode 8 involves uh, the Resistance show, the animated show. So did you watch the Resistance? 
what were your thoughts on season one and what are your ex expectations of season two now my uh, good bud uh, Mike of MDoc Cassini he wasn't able to answer any questions but he did ask a question so he says apologies can't share an answer for this one haven't watched the show yet is it worth it I really did enjoy Rebels and this is how I answered him uh, so it was a, in a direct message on Instagram I'm just going to read it uh, verbatim ah no worries man honestly uh you not watching Resistance tells the story. This probably didn't capture his attention. Uh, it takes place pretty close to the lead up to Force Awakens. Uh, the first half is blah. The second half is better. That's my take on Resistance. I hope you enjoyed it. Next up, we have the illustrious Mike Mann of Monkey Basement Productions. And he has sent in his insights to me. So let's cue that up and let it roll hey sean this is mike man your number one fan of course i um i have no response to your question this week uh i don't watch the resistance well i don't want to say i don't i i just haven't and uh so i have no expectations for next season so uh I wish I had an answer for you, buddy, but I don't. May the force be with you, my friend. Point taken. Resistance just didn't hit home with some people. So, Mike, thanks for your honesty. Thanks for always sending an audio file. It's nice to hear from you, as always. Uh, I have no expectations for Season 2 uh, because... They're ending it after season two. So are they ending it because they're running out of storyline runway? Or are they ending it because it was bad? Uh, I guess we'll find out. So that'll be starting soon. And you'll definitely be able to hear my review of each episode. Well, maybe two episodes, depending on how I want to do it. Of Star Wars Resistance Season 2. And I'll give you a recap of Season 1. I'll find that before we get into that. So... Look forward to that. Thanks, gents, for the comms chatter. So let's get to our question for the week. After seeing the D23 special footage and listening to the breakdown on this podcast, what are your new thoughts on the rise of Skywalker? If you don't have any thoughts and you want to throw a question back at me, as part of comms chatter, I will gladly answer it for you on the podcast. So you can answer my question I just posed, or you can ask a question and I will answer it instead. That way we don't run into a, oh, I didn't watch that, like we just ran into. So we're going to fix that. That's what teachers do. We make adjustments. So what did you think of the new footage and did it change anything for you for The Rise of Skywalker? And if not, you can ask a question and I will answer it on the last podcast this has been comms chatter let me adjust some dials to shut this down i gotta turn the encryption off and uh yep that's it as we break atmosphere we're coming in for a landing i must remind you that reading the stars episode one is live on the last podcast feed exclusively it breaks down star wars volume six the comic series why did i start at volume six because that's how the comics work you just start anywhere and you go 
No, I am going to go backwards in time and start breaking down one through five. Uh, but stay tuned for that as that will come out on the opposite week of the main episode. As I need to remind you, the Wee Pod Mega episode is live now over on their feed. You can check them out at WePodcast and we know things.com. And as always, as they say, in a galaxy far, far away, may the Force be with you. MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast, copyrighted 2019, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music credits to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Music by Chillhop.com. Star Wars covers featured by Unicorn Studios and Pandemic on YouTube. This has been the last podcast. Visit the website www.mrctechllc.com for more information.